Thank you, Mr. Randy. Hey, Church at the Red Door. I hope you had an incredible, incredible celebration of God coming to the earth. You know, Emmanuel, as we've said many times before, God with us. I mean, it's an unimaginable, to many, impossible scenario. Many don't even believe in God, but if they believe in some kind of higher power, to imagine that he would take on human flesh and come and dwell among men is a not only improbable, but an impossibility in their own mind. Many religions just can't imagine the merger of the divine with the chaos that we see on the earth. But obviously that's what we were celebrating last week. And I've got to tell you, uh, you know, I've been provoked in my spirit. Let me tell you a little bit of a story and why we're going to redirect. I had intended to move on into the next portion where Jesus begins his public ministry. But uh, I don't know, it was... Sunday or Monday, I can't even remember, and all of a sudden I felt this, uh, I was up about two o'clock in the morning, which is not unusual for me, and I was just praying, and, and I was actually using what we had talked about the week prior as it relates to the temptations of Jesus, and I, had, I was using the, I was actually physically saying, uh, it is written, actually not physically, but in my mind, it is written, and I was having to battle a few temptations that were going through my own mind. Uh, maybe a little, I think I was a little bit concerned about finances or something. I don't know what it was. Uh, and we're fine, we're fine. But I'm just saying, whatever it was, I, I was having to, and I was quoting, it is written, and I was quoting Colossians 3, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And, and I just felt provoked in my heart that the Lord, and, and again, take this for what it's worth. Some of you may still struggle with the idea that God speaks to us today, and certainly a lot of people run around saying, well, God told me to do X, Y, and Z, and clearly they're uh, not in conflict with the word or too bizarre to imagine to be real or something God might actually say. So you may have a predisposition to be wary, and in some ways you should be, of someone saying, God said to me, but of course, as your pastor and someone who has a desire to hear from the Lord and then respond, uh, I felt him provoked me in my heart that many heard, and here's what I heard, many heard the message on Sunday about the temptations of Jesus. In fact, they actually acquiesced in their own minds uh, that this was a good and, and right thing, but very few went on, even this week, this last week, to practice actually what Jesus practiced. Uh, very few actually uh, took the word as the sword and battled Satan. They, they liked the concept and it helped them understand the scriptures. But in terms of orthopraxy, in other words, they got their orthodoxy right. In other words, their, the, the message impacted people's hearts. But to move from orthodoxy to orthopraxy and actually move it into their daily practice I don't know that all of them have done that. And of course, he didn't say, I don't know. But he said, I felt like a, I, I felt in my heart that we had to go back and we're going to spend the next few weeks and I want to equip you with very specific verses, very specific places where you can be equipped to use the sword to battle temptation in your own life. I gave you a few examples of my go-to verses but this last week, I, I, I reached out to a few of uh, my ministry friends uh, in links and a few in Church of the Red Door, and I just said, what are some of your go-to verses? I just want to you know, try to consolidate and say, well, these are my struggles or my temptations that Satan and the ways that Satan usually hits me in my own mind. What are ways and verses that you use to battle temptation in your own mind? And then I did... A, a much more exhaustive work this week, and I've put together many, many verses that may specifically and hopefully specifically apply to areas in your life that you are tempted and sometimes succumb to temptation. You know, it wasn't easy. I mean, I had already, I was deep into my outline and work in my mind and where we were, and I just felt so moved in my spirit to go back and help equip Church of the Red Door and our extended community uh, online and other places to help you battle temptation as Jesus battled temptation. 
look, folks, we just have to end this assault on our hearts and we have to do it quickly and early and often. And of course, the question would emerge, well, why? Why is it so important to battle temptation? I think there are fundamentally three primary areas and reasons that I so desire to absolutely annihilate the temptations that come my way. Number one, I just want life. You know, part of using the sword to battle temptation, part of that is that I just have a desire to have life. I don't. I am tired of chaos ruling in my heart, and as a result, being manifest in my own life. And I, I just I have. And, and trust me, the process has been slow. It's not overnight. But 30 years ago, when I gave my life to Jesus, my life was a complete, was in utter chaos in so many different areas. And pretty much all three that we looked at last week in terms of appetites and shiny things and throne grabbing, I, I was an expert in all three. But I started to see, I want this chaos to be removed. I want shalom to use this Hebrew word. I want the shalom of God ruling in my life, which is more than just I'm happy and I kind of am up, but my, my life becomes ordered in a kingdom kind of way. I want life. Part of that is what I would call fearing the Lord. In other words, focusing on his kingdom. Fear very much is always founded in focus. When we focus too much on something, we get a phobia. And so fearing the Lord is to focus, to be riveted on what he says. Listen to what Proverbs 19.23 says. I want life. Well, how do you get it? It's very clear. The fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. So where does evil come in? It comes in the form typically of temptations. Yes, there can be manifestations of the satanic realm that come against us in forms of other people and play, you know, things that happen and occur in our lives. But primarily it happens right here in our own imagination, in our own, the very seat of our heart, our conscious mind, the way we think about things and reality and what we're susceptible to. I want life. And the Bible is very clear, fear the Lord, and it leads to life so that you may sleep satisfied and be untouched by evil. So number one, I want life. That's a primary, uh, one of the pr three primary reasons I want to battle temptation on a daily basis. Number two, I want to complete my calling on the earth, right? Uh, you, can, you see it happen virtually every day. People who are called and they fall from uh, their place of leadership or their place of, of calling. They, they lose their standing in a community or maybe just a friend that they're trying to share the gospel with and they fail so miserably that their friend says, well, see, it's clearly hypocrisy. I do not want to miss out on the calling that God has on my life and I don't think you do either. Listen to the text here. Listen to Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.27. This is Paul speaking. He says, I discipline my body. In other words, this could be appetites or desires for things. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified. Paul saw the necessity in his own calling. He didn't want to be disqualified from his calling. So he disciplined his body. Now, how did he discipline his body? He just tried harder. He just tried harder. No, he knew exactly how to discipline his body. And the way in which he disciplined his body was to use the sword. And he obviously got very specific about that, as we'll see again this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. And then lastly, so number one, I want life. Number two, I do not want to miss out on my calling in this life on earth. I want to fulfill the call that God has on my life. I have to battle daily this junk that comes into my mind and assaults my heart and my mind and tries to pull me away and move me away from life and calling. And then lastly, I've got to be honest with you, I just have this deep, and this is the Holy Spirit. This is the 
part of the new birth, I just began to have this powerful desire to be pleasing to the Lord. You know, there's just a certain area in your life where you just go, I just have to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to do it. You know, it's interesting in Second uh, Corinthians, it's Paul, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and I believe it's chapter 8, verse 10. He was talking about, in that context, giving, but he says, not only did you do it, but you began to have a desire to do it, which was powerful to me. That's what happened with me in my own walk. Before, I couldn't care less about these things. Temptation? Who cares? But now I have a desire to be pleasing to the Lord. I don't just do it. I actually want to do it. I want to learn to battle this junk that goes on in my head so that I can have life and finish my calling. And, and, and obviously, it doesn't have a, then a, a deleterious effect on my family and those around me. I, I want them to have life. I want my life to help others have life. And I certainly don't want to be someone who causes others to stumble. So I want to finish my calling and... And, and this is key, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. Listen to Paul on this too in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.10, uh, excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.27 and then 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy, 1 Corinthians 9.27, uh, uh, pardon me, I, I missed a verse here. I want to go back for a second. I want to go back to Demas. I want to go, go back to this calling issue. I kind of missed on, misstepped on this. I want to go back to this calling issue before we move on to uh, Paul's admonition to be pleasing to the Lord that he's clear about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to the story. I, we've talked about this before, but Demas, listen to this. It's just a very short, in his letter to Timothy, listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, here was a guy that was part of, and again, I've talked about this at length at points, but here was a guy who was part of the crew was, had his calling to go with them, was in, in, intimately involved in this missional community. And then we, at one of Paul's very last letters was to 2 Timothy. He just says, Demas, who loved this present world, has deserted me. And I think in deserting Paul, he probably then deserted his own calling. I, I, I want to finish my calling. I do not want to be Demas. And part of that is that I can stand before the Lord one day and hear, well, well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, I want to be pleasing to him, which again brings me to the third. Listen to Paul on being pleasing to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, we have set our hearts on doing this one thing. Now catch it, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him to be pleasing to him. Again, so why battle? Why have to learn to pick up the sword and become effective and be able to say when these things come into our minds, it is written. Just have those words. I actually say those words. It is written. I don't just quote a verse. I, is that important? Is it? Is it mandatory? No, but Jesus did it. I said, it's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. And again, as I've said last week, Jesus was battling in his mind. And he said, it is written. Did he say it out loud? I don't know. He was in the wilderness alone. I know these thoughts were being provoked in him, these temptations by Satan in his mind. It is written. That's going to be our clarion call here this morning. Look, we're going to take a tour de force, if you will, through these scriptures. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take them one at a time. Some of these may not these may not be temptations that you have succumbed to in the past. Uh, some of these are very specific to me. Some of these are specific to others. All of these have application to us learning the word. Look, we have to we have to join the resistance. You know, you cannot be a passive observer of the kingdom. You cannot just kind of go to church and then not, you will be assaulted in your mind. It's true of all of us. We have to join the resistance. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take on the mantra of it is written and join the resistance. Pick up your sword, if you will, and resist Satan. A few verses 
talking about resistance and joining the resistance that I want to uh, put forward this morning, okay? So before we actually go into the it is written verses, those go-to verses, I want to remind you of a few things here. Number one, James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit therefore to God. This is part of fearing the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So here again, I'm asking us as a church, as a community, as broad as we are sometimes, I know wherever you may be, Montana or Washington or Chicago or Dallas or uh, various places where our people are kind of scattered, I want you to know, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm calling you, and I believe the Lord is calling us as a community. Resist the devil. Join the resistance. Don't let these things go on in your mind. Be equipped to battle what goes on in your mind. Jesus was equipped. As a result, he completed his calling. And clearly, he had life and abundant life, which he also then promised to his followers. Now again, I want to retouch on this, and I want to make a point, but I think it's important that I go back and read Ephesians chapter 6, which is now going to, we're going to talk about this sword, okay? So uh, this is the full armor of God. Many of you know it well, but Specifically, I want to laser in on one particular aspect before we move on and get into the specific categories of appetites, shiny things, and throne grabbing, and the verses that can help allay some of these temptations that come into our mind. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Okay, are you with me? Come on now. I know sometimes when we read the script, the scripture has power. We know it's a two-edged sword. I mean, this is powerful. Now, catch a hold of this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Paul tells the church at Ephesus. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Look, what Paul knows is not unlike Jesus and himself, we will be submitted to temptation by the schemes of Satan. In other words, Satan, not necessarily, again, Satan is a created being. He can't be everywhere at one time. He's not omnipresent. But his forces are, I mean, the spiritual forces on this earth, fallen angels, again, I don't want to go into all that, but they are present, ever present in every part uh, of the world today. And their forces are strong. These are the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And they are scheming against you to bring you into bondage, to bring, take, take you out of life and into chaos, to sabotage your calling and to make and to stop you from being pleasing to the Lord. Those are the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, okay, we know, man, I know you know this well, but let's get into this. Take, on, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist, join the resistance, all right? In the evil day, which is, we see it around us today, don't we? And having done everything, stand firm. Come on now. Join the resistance. Stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Okay, so truth, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to get into truth this morning. Uh, Jesus is our truth, and he is the word. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, okay, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, that's calling, just a desire to, to be part of what God asks us to do, Jesus asks us to do in the Great Commission. Tell the gospel. Be part of a community that is constantly telling the gospel. In addition to all, taking up the, now I'm going to, this is the important point I want to make, taking up the shield of faith, which is what? Able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, so, when temptation comes, when his schemes and strategies against us come, the first thing is faith. And we take up the shield of faith, all right? And that is radically important. Many of these darts can be extinguished through faith. But then it goes on to say, and then take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, so... We know that this is the word, and it is a sword. Okay, so I want to make this point. I think it's very important, okay? So I was able to get my 
son-in-law's epee, these are called, his fencing epee. He does some fencing, and this is the best sword I could come up with here. I think it's a perfect one. And uh, I want, I'm gonna, I want you, I want you to get this picture. Okay, it's one thing to have a shield of faith. So imagine yourself in a battle, maybe out on a battlefield somewhere, and imagine yourself, and these flaming, these flaming arrows are coming at you, and you have your shield of faith. And it's one thing to block these things, but the battle will rage. There's nothing that's by blocking. There's nothing offensive in this. It's a defensive weapon. So I'm holding and I'm blocking and I'm blocking and I'm blocking and some of you feel that way. You feel like I'm standing in faith, I'm blocking some of these temptations that come into my mind, I'm blocking them through faith. Like I'm not gonna do that, I'm just not gonna do that. But you've never, and this is what I think was provoked in my spirit, but you never actually take up the sword, many of you, and then not only block it, but then actually strategically fight back you don't fight with your sword. I want to sharpen your sword. I want to give you a sword in these specific areas. And this is vital that you get this. It's one thing to block it, but it's another thing to end it. Okay, let me say it again. It's one thing to block a temptation. Okay, I'm just, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. It's another thing to take up an offensive weapon and end it. Now, if you'll remember, Jesus, when he was being tempted, after he resisted the devil, and we talked about this last week, the devil flees. Resist the devil and he will flee. And that's exactly what the Bible says. The devil left him. Jesus didn't just block the temptation. He went on an offensive rant. I mean, it is written. It is written. He took up his sword and began to fight back and the devil fled, and the Bible went ahead and said, and it wasn't finished. It's not like he's never going to come against him again. It said, until an opportune time. So again, I hope you get this down in your spirit. It's one thing to block it. It's another thing, it's another thing then to end it for this, maybe a week or a month or the moment, or maybe it'll be back in an hour, but you're ending it for that moment. I cannot tell you. I hope you get this in your spirit. I cannot tell you the power that occurs when you say it is written and then you quote the scripture. It's powerful. And then you add worship to that, turn on some worship music, it's over. You ended it. You have become officially part of the resistance movement that wants to see the kingdom of God established in the earth. Oh, it's so easy to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, it just rolls off of our religious lips so easily. But to actually see the kingdom come necessitates that first we battle temptation effectively, and then we go out and battle for the hearts and lives of other people. All right, are you with me? Okay, so that's going to set the stage this morning for what we're going to look at. We're going to be going into some real detail. And again, I said it a minute ago, a real tour de force of the scripture. And I'm gonna, and I and I categorize these out, appetites, shiny things, and then the uh, boastful pride of life or throne grabbing. And, and I just began to get subcategories. And again, I, I sent out a few uh, little emails and texts and things and asked people, send in some things that you use. So it's a compilation of both my own study, my own verse, go-to verses, and then some of the go-to verses of some of my ministerial friends. All right, you ready for this? Okay, here we go. Now, by the way, we're going to make my, out, my note outline here. We're going to make it available to you on the website, churchattheredddoor.com. We will make it available to you, and uh, we can even put that up at the end, and how you can actually get a copy of this, and then you can add to these verses as well. So this, again, it's not completely exhaustive, all week, I just kept thinking, another thing would pop into mind. I'd go in there and write it down, change the outline. It just happened over and over. Uh, so I want, you to, uh, I want you to understand these are going to be accessible to you. So don't worry too much about writing all these verses down. We'll make this outline available to you. All right, you ready to roll? Here we go. Number one, number one, appetites, appetites, okay? So let's think about, first of all, lust. 
Now, some of you may not struggle with this, but most men can say, uh, at some point in my life I have, and let me tell you something, you're not I used to have guys say, well, you know, get a little older and then some of these struggles won't occur anymore. And it's not just sexual lust. We can lust for all kinds of things. But I'm specifically speaking of sexual lust now. And I have, I've had guys come and, and weep before me and, and ask for repentance. Guy, 80 years old, is just absolutely addicted to pornography. And uh, I've had, I mean, I've seen it all. And, it's, and all these things typically are strong. Men tend through the eye gate men tend to be moved in very powerful ways in this area. Part of that is the way God created us, but not to fall. It's for our spouse in the in form of a monogamous relationship with our spouse. Okay, so again, let's, let's go into this. this first, this is, a, this is a verse that you can use. You say, it is written. And then use Psalm 101, verse three. Okay, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. In other words, my eye gate. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. Okay, so in the moment, you may forget. I don't remember where that is. Psalm what? I can't remember, but what you can remember. Here would be an example of something I would use and have used. Psalm 101 verse 3. You don't even have to remember the address of the verse. But for those of you who struggle, you need to have this in your repertoire. You gotta have, this is part of your toolkit. Are you ready? Here it is. I would say something to the effect, very practically, this is orthopraxy, something like this. For it is written, a thought comes into your mind about a secretary or somebody out there or somebody you walk by or a friend's wife or a friend's husband or somebody you meet or somebody you just see through media or on television or, or pornography or whatever it is. This lust appetite comes in and wants to completely annihilate you and your soul. My soul withers when I succumb to lust. And so I might say, when that thought pops into my mind or something occurs or something that I want to begin to imagine and, and you know just form in my mind a scenario of some type, I would say, it is written, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I may not even quote the entire verse. We see that with Jesus. He didn't necessarily quote an entire passage, but the operable part. For it is written, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. It is written. So here I am in the constructs of my own mind. I am doing something like this in my mind. I'm using my sword. It is written. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Quote it. Say it. If you have to say it out loud, say it out loud. But own it. Own this sword. If you struggle in this department, and it's not just sexual lust in this, but worthlessness. It can just be anything that's worthless. From a spiritual, I'm just not going to set it before my eyes. It is written, I will not set any worthless thing before my eyes. 2 Timothy 2.22. It is written, now flee from youthful lust, this is what we talked about last week. Pursue righteousness and what? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So you might just come up, it may be just a portion of this, for it is written, flee youthful lusts. And it's over. You have to say it, you may have to say it 20 times. It is written, Flee youthful lusts. It is written, flee youthful lusts. Now, folks, how much more practical can this get? But I'm going to ask you the question. Just look over this last week. We had the message uh, Sunday of last week on the 20th. Was there a moment in time, did you, incur, did you encounter any temptation in your mind to be angry, to be to be prideful, to be anything, and did you recognize it as sin and then respond with, it is written, and then quote a verse. And if you didn't, I'm not, I'm not chastising you, I'm just saying we have to make it part of our daily, moment by moment routine. And again, if you don't say it is written, but you can just quote the scripture in your mind and recognize this, these outside thoughts for what they are, 
your life will be forever changed. It's fearing the Lord. Life will come in. Your calling will be expanded and we're not contracting and you will be pleasing to the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I got to tell you, this has gone around in my head for so many times. Uh, I got to tell you, I've failed in this area, right? I, I, it's, it, to, every day, it tends to be a struggle for me. And I think many of the men out there can say yes. Why? How do I know? Because when I talk about my struggles in this department, other men come to me both either publicly or in private and say, thank you so very much for letting us know that you know, you're, you're on a journey too and this has helped me and, I, and embolden us. Look, it's what we talked about last week. If there's not transparency and honesty and accountability, if none of these things are there and you, this great amount of humility, if it's not there, then we can't move forward in this, folks. We have to recognize sin and temptation for what it is and then battle it. I say to you, everyone who looks upon a woman, right, with lust for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is Jesus, obviously, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. It is written, and then just quote it. You say, well, I don't know, I can't, I can't memorize scripture. Write it on, if you were to turn the camera, I'm in my office, as you know, and, and look at my computer, you would see all, I have all these sticky notes. And, and when I want a verse that's in front, of my, in front of me, right? Maybe it's a temptation fighting verse or any verse I want to remember. I just stick them all over my computer. I've got them all over. You ever see a beautiful mind? They had sticky notes everywhere. Well, I, I don't have such a beautiful mind. But because my mind's not always beautiful, I take these sticky notes and I put them all over the place. And I'm con they're constantly in front of me. And it's amazing. If you'll, if you'll write some of these key verses that we're talking about, put them on a sticky note somewhere at your computer or somewhere where you are uh, every day. Some of you might need to put these on your golf bag, right? Put these little sticky notes, write these scriptures, and to where you come into contact with them every day. Don't say, well, I can't remember where they are. Write them down, put them up, put them on your mirror. Uh, Put them with some kind of laminate thing and put them in your wallet. Whatever it is, have them in front of you. It's a little bit what God told uh, the Jewish people to do, you know. Put them on the doorposts of your house. You can see them going in and coming out. It's, a, it, it's really an understanding that if I have the word in front of me constantly, I can battle, effectively battle temptation. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. So it might be in that moment, just flee immorality, right? It is written, flee immorality. It is written, flee immorality. It For it is written, flee immorality. And if you get it, you might, it is written, the immoral man sins against his own body when he enters into that immorality. It is written, for the immoral man sins against his own body. Whatever portion of that, or, it's, or the verse in its entirety. These, these are powerful offensive weapons. So now no longer he's going, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You may be able to fend him off for a while, but you're not doing anything against the satanic forces that are there. They're not going to flee. If, if we resist, if we become part of the resistance with a sword, then they flee. But if we're not part of the resistance and we're just, you know, putting our faith up there, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. The Bible doesn't say that they flee. It's in the resisting, it's in the offensive nature of our walk that Satan, that Satan flees, that Satan, and now he'll come back. Look, he'll come back at an opportune time. So this is an ongoing, all of our life kind of battle. But I, I want to end it in that moment, in that day, in that hour. I want to end it. I don't want to sit there and not know. I, people go crazy because they don't know how to use an offensive tool when these things come at them. They just feel vulnerable. Their shield holds up for a while, their faith, but at some point, you'll get tired. The shield will kind of go down and Satan's still going to be there. So again, let's, let's become part of the resistance. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 
Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Here again, Peter's saying, I'm begging you, you know? And then you might just say, it is written, okay? So what portion of that? Well, maybe all of it, as I said again. But abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. It is written. It is written. Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Romans 13, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Again, all of these I would categorize under appetites and the subcategory here, again, being lust. So maybe a temptation hits you. You say, it is written, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh and its lusts. It is written. And if you don't get it exactly right, you're still quoting. You know, oftentimes the New Testament writers will actually quote something from the Old Testament. They'll take a portion of it. They'll merge a scripture over here and a scripture over here. The word is the word. You know, if you don't quote it in the entirety and, you know, a particular, I only do the, I, I can only battle in the NIV or the NASB or the King James. Look, get the, get the primary portion that is applicable to what you're facing. And even if you get a portion of it, even if you get nothing away, flee youthful lust. It is written, flee youthful lust. But again, I would say if you really struggle in these areas, write these things down. Have them as part of your spiritual toolkit. Romans 8, verse 6. The mindset on the flesh is death. For it is written, the mindset... If Satan is tempting you to set your mind on flesh, on the flesh, it's death. For the mindset on the flesh is death. It is written, for the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is what? Life and peace. Are you, are you starting, I'm hoping you're beginning to grasp the real gravity of the battle that we're in, but starting something to arise deep in you and going, well, maybe, maybe I can overcome this. Maybe I can be someone who actually, who actually does effectively go on an offense, joins the resistance, not just don't do it, I'm trying not to do it, I'm trying not to do it, eventually... You're tired, you tire a little bit, and your shield comes down, you get wiped out. No, you battle, and then you block, yeah, of course, with your faith, but then here you are, man, you're, you're going after Satan. Uh, and then, what does the Bible say? He's going to flee. He's going to flee. Now I want to go, I want to go to the next level. We're just going to deal with appetites, uh, these two areas this week, and then we'll move in to more of these verses in the following weeks. Now, again, I, I, I want to be very specific. You know, my task, as you know, I mean, I, I like being entertaining. I like telling a good story like anybody. I mean, we're going to laugh and we're Church of the Red Door. We have a good time. But my, my our primary task is to equip you, equip you for the work of service so you can move into your calling. You cannot, again, move into your calling and free other people if you yourself are not free. And how do you become free? You catch it at the absolute root, at the beginning. Don't allow it to start to grow. These temptations, when they grow, catastrophe can happen down the road. Okay? So meet it head on. Join the resistance. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about overeating. Okay? This is just an appetite that the Lord has given us. Okay? And when food becomes uh, a way in which you cope with struggles in your life, you know, I mean, there's a million things out there. Jenny Craig and Oprah, you know, talks about it and this and that. And every kind of uh, new app on your phone, you know, you can get these uh, apps that help you with weight loss and control. And there's nothing wrong with those. Uh, don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, this can be fought right at the beginning when, when there's a struggle. These, can, these things can be fought. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It is written. So when you have a temptation, say, and I'm eating, drinking, am I doing this to the glory of God? Now this could include too, one too many, you know, 
have a glass of wine, all of a sudden you have two and three, and I'm like, wait a minute, is this to the glory of God? Number one, I could kill somebody on the way home. Uh, I mean, this is a temptation. I mean, Satan, you don't think that ministries and people's callings have been, and families' lives have been destroyed with an appetite, with just one too many drinks, or, uh, you know, or, or overeating in that moment? Lives can be destroyed. Lives can be cut short. I mean, every kind of disease that can come in because of overeating. Quote it. It is written. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, it is written. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Quote it. Fight with it. If you struggle in these areas, fight these appetites. Fight them. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, you may just take a part of this. I mean, I can't imagine in the moment, in that moment, maybe beautifully so, if you've got a kind of eidetic memory uh, where you can re, you know, just, just memorize all this and have it uh, right at your um, disposal at any time. But... Just saying, it is written, my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Glorify God in what? In your body. It is written, my body is the temple of the Lord. I'm going to glorify God in my body, for it is written. For it is written. And battle back. Philippians 3, verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. Did you know your appetite can actually become an idol in your life? what Paul is telling the church at Philippi. These false teachers and others who were standing against the gospel, their God was their appetite. The glory was in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. For it is written, those who fall away, right, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, they set their minds on earthly things. What about Proverbs 23 verse 2? Put a knife to your throat if you are a man of great appetite. Put a knife to your throat if you're a man of great appetite. For it is written, put a knife to your throat. So you're thinking about the third course, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe you got a little repenting to do after this Christmas holiday but or Thanksgiving. Put a knife to your throat. For it is written, put a knife to your throat if you're a man of great appetite. So again, these are equipping. These have to be completely invade your mind. You have to have these as a toolkit. If you struggle in this area, again, we'll have this available to you. Write these down, put them on a sticky note, pull them all over your house. Whatever you have to do, put them on your mirror, put them, on your, put them in your car, uh, put them on your computer, whatever it is. Learn these verses and then use them. Daily, hourly, minute by minute if you have to. You cannot imagine and I want to hear your stories. You cannot imagine the power in quoting the word. Jesus wasn't just doing some nice little uh, something there. Uh, in, in the gospel of Luke, you notice it is written. and It's for us. It's for our instruction. He helped us understand it. And then lastly, I want to go into this morning, our last one. I want to go into sloth or you know lethargy or just laziness is essentially what this is. Look, it's very easy. We live in a place out here in the Palm Springs area, Southern California. We live in a place that's built on leisure time, being lazy, doing exactly what you want, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. You know, it's amazing. You know, I, I see a lot of guys when they're in their business life, uh, they, they set these appointments, they get so much accomplished and they get out here and then you try to get somebody together for a meeting or something, and you know they don't have anything on their schedule, but they're like, ah, you know, and they just, they create so much margin so they can kind of do whatever they want to do. We can get spiritually lazy. I'm talking about me too. I don't want to, I have to fight that urge to just chill and be lazy and not get anything accomplished. And uh, so here again, this is an appetite for leisure, an appetite for just, you know, hanging out, lounging, you know, it's kind of, again, it's the ethos of where we live. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work with it, excuse me, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is written, whatever you do, do it with all your heart, right? Do it with all your heart as working for the Lord. 
Do you have a calling? Do you have, are you called to something? Just because you're retired doesn't mean your calling ends. In fact, you're, many of you will walk more into your calling after you retire than you ever were even able or capable of doing. Don't spend this time just lounging around. There's nothing around. Look, I'm not asking you to re-enter that kind of workaday chaos that may have been your work life, but fight against the, the temptation to go a week or two weeks and not, not ever open your Bible, never, never do anything relating to your calling, not to set your mind. You've just set your mind again on, on earthly things. Set your mind on the kingdom coming to earth. It's amazing how the Spirit will guide you. 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, some that are still tasked with providing for a family, you've got kids at home, we still do, have a child at home or, uh, or even providing for your spouse, a, a reasonable place where you're not having to worry about food and shelter and all these things. I'm not saying you have to live in opulence, but you should be able to provide the core essentials for what your family needs that are under your roof. Well, right here, I mean, this, this has gone through my mind many times. He who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever, for it is written. Those moments when I remember early on in ministry when I would have to, um, I was a hybrid by many places and it was hard at times. And I would tell Laura, I just can't imagine, you know, you get on a plane and fly somewhere and, and do golf instruction and get back to do more ministry. And sometimes it you know, the trips got longer and longer, especially as I got older. They were more and more challenging to walk through. And at times it was tough, but I, I remember this verse. You know, it is written, he who does not provide for his family, I was going to have girls to put through college. I was going to have, you know, kids to feed, insurance to pay, mortgages to get, you know, all that stuff. He, it is written. So that tendency, ah, you know, I'm just kind of tired, you know. Well, we'll make it. Somehow we'll make it through. No, it is written. That's a temptation to sloth, laziness. No, it is written, he who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. I've used that many times. Proverbs 10, verse 5, last three, four verses here. Proverbs 10, verse 5. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Now, this can not only be provision, literal provision, food, shelter, etc., but I think this can also apply to the spiritual realm. Many of you may not even have the issue of provision in terms of material provision. But there is a provision as you begin to walk into your calling that you are called to do what? Not sleep during a harvest. There is a harvest. Look, I believe with all my heart there's going to be a massive harvest here in the Coachella Valley. I believe that. I believe we are. Uh, there will be revival. And some of it's going to happen beyond my lifetime. But I have work to do. you got to get up. We need to build this church, get this land set up our, you know, fellowships or, you know, in these different places and, and do all the things that we're called to do right here in the Coachella Valley. Every time I'm like, well, you know, who knows if it'll happen. Haven't I done enough? Or look, it is written, he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful man. Every time you have a, a temptation just to kind of sit back, I've done enough, you know, it's, it's all going to work out. He who sleeps, trust me, there's going to be a harvest. And I don't want to be found sleeping. Proverbs 13, verse 4. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Now again, let's take a spiritual application here. If you are diligent, even in what we're talking about this morning, let me tell you something, this is preparation. Like I said earlier, if you, if you don't know how to fight, how are you going to fight for others? If you succumb to temptation, how are you ever going to get the the moxie to go out and talk about a Lord who can deliver you from sin and Satan when in fact you don't even know how to battle. In fact, your, your face shield's coming down and, and you realize there's a lot of sin in your life. Look, it just doesn't work that way. And so, look, let's not be lazy. The desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. I want to be diligent. Why? Because my desire is to please the Lord. My desire is to see people come to Christ to be transformed, for families and generations to be changed by the gospel. Look, I don't know about you. I am sold on the gospel. It works, transforms. It's the only thing in this earth that has any eternal value is our relationship with Jesus and his kingdom. Everything else will have an untimely end at the end. 
Proverbs 20, verse 4, sluggards do not plow in season. So at harvest time, they look but find nothing. I'm going to ask you, when the harvest does come, uh, and again, it's not just specifically about Church of the Red Door, but I'm going to talk about Church of the Red Door. When, our, when that harvest comes, will you have been part of it? Or will, they find, will you find nothing in terms of your own participation? If it is, it's just probably not being diligent, being lazy, being cavalier about the calling that is in front of us. And then finally this morning, I'll close with this, and we'll talk a little bit about shiny things and, and other things next week. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Look, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So he's telling Timothy, he said, essentially... You cannot sit on the sidelines, Timothy. Uh, he's is a calling, and you may say something. You know, it is written. In, maybe you're enduring hardship, and you just want to sit back on the sidelines and not worry about it. Uh, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Or it may just be, it is, it is written, fulfill your ministry. Yeah, you don't have to be, quote, unquote, a pastor or, a, you know, ministerial on your IRS form. To be a minister, we're all part of a royal priesthood and we're all called a minister in some way. But boy, can reach up and grab us. So anyway, I hope this has been very helpful for you this morning. I, 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 of course, I have to believe it is. I, why? Because in my heart, the Lord did this work. I think the Lord wants us to walk in some real specific application of last, last week's message. And you need to be equipped. So again, let me say in closing, join the resistance. Use your sword to end it, right? Uh, be part of it. Learn to say it is written. And begin to filter, begin to recognize when you are being tempted, not just, well, this is just how I am. I struggle in these areas. Don't say that. It's a temptation. I've succumbed to it at times, but... I choose not to. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to fulfill my calling. And most of all, most of all, I want life. I want shalom for both me and those around me. So let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I'm so grateful that you have in fact given us your word. It is precious. It is powerful. It can divide soul and spirit. It can divide joints and marrow. It penetrates, does its surgery. But Lord, it's also an offensive weapon. And I pray right now that all those within the sound of my voice will commit to you right now. Just tell them, it is written. It is written. It, I make it my ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. Just say it right now. It is written. We make it our ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. And if that's your heart, I'm excited about the future of Church at the Red Door. And I'm excited about our community as we join the resistance. Have a great week. Uh, next, I won't see you till next year. Can you imagine? 2021. I pray 2021's uh, an exciting year and surpasses 2020, which in some of your minds may not be so difficult to do. Love you. Have a great week.